We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning on this Palm Sunday morning. So page 944 in the black hardback Bibles, Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in Romans 8, starting in verse 18. Uh, as I mentioned this morning, is Palm Sunday, a day in which we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, this is a week long between the time Christ came and the time Christ died. All he accomplished in that week um, is something that, uh, that we look back and, and having just recently been to Jerusalem, there's a lot there um, that is commemorated and, and made much of over the course of really that one week of Jesus' uh, time in Jerusalem. Um, as our children kind of reenacted for us, and I think very accurately reenacted for us, in the triumphal entry, uh, people saw, because they, they had seen and they had heard. I mean, th- to this point, thousands of people had seen and heard Jesus. And not only had seen and heard him, but even some who hadn't seen and heard had heard about Jesus. And this triumphal entry has caused people to, to react and to respond in a way where they are now welcoming this, this king, this, this, this hopeful deliverer of their people. In the context of, of, of Jesus' ministry and where he was in the time and space, the Jewish people were, were under the oppression of, of Roman rule. They were wanting and desiring to be freed from that, and they see Jesus, and in their, in their magnification of Jesus in his triumphal entry, they are they're seeing Jesus as not just like the Messiah, but the one who's really, I think, going to meet the present need of deliverance from Roman rule. And so they are treating him like a king, putting palm branches in front of him, taking off their cloaks and laying them in front of the, the donkey that Jesus is riding in on, which is um, not the most glorious of animals. But Jesus comes in, in his first uh, coming into Jerusalem humbly, uh, which, which should set that for us um, to, to remember the way in which Jesus came, the people's response to Jesus. And today, as we begin Holy Week, as we're kind of finishing up Lent, uh, and we begin Holy Week, we think back, we think back to this time where Jesus came, and people were yelling and shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And I wonder if, if our hearts this morning are really prepared to say that. I wonder this morning if our hearts are, are pointed in the same direction of Jesus being worthy of all praise and honor and glory. Because I feel like sometimes, even in my own life, the praise and the honor and glory hits a ceiling. And that ceiling is my own just basic needs and desires. And I don't want us to be in the same position that, that these people who were laying down palm fronds and their coats in front of Christ, thinking that he has just come to meet this current position and this current need. Because Christ has come to, and really what we see in Scripture, 
He came not just to meet like the current needs, but to actually do something eternally for these people, for us, that would transform the whole of human history, would transform our understanding and our relationship with God. He came to be the mediator between God and man. The coming of the Messiah the first time did more for us eternally than we could have ever imagined. And the coming of the Messiah the second time will create for us a new and glorious present and future. So as we begin Holy Week this week, may God grant us the capacity to pull back, to not just see what God is doing in and through us personally, but also see what God is doing in and through us corporately. So turn with me again to Romans 8, and we'll start in verse 18. This is Paul's letter to the Romans. He says this, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. Almighty and ever-living God, in your tenderness, in your love for the human race, you sent your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, to take upon him our nature and to suffer death upon the cross, giving us the example of his great humility. Mercifully grant that we might walk in the way of his suffering and also share in his resurrection through Jesus Christ, our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Friends, there's there's just this tension. I I feel like today, uh, as we we celebrate um, Palm Sunday, as we are entering into the end of Lent, as we are experiencing spring, as they say here in Pennsylvania. (laughs) Spring with nine and a half inches of snow. There's this tension of of like the already not yet. The the anticipation of what is to come. For many of us who have been participating in Lent 33 days... 11 hours, 15 minutes of Lent has already passed. Not that anyone is counting. But we've withheld stuff from us 
to seek further one God, to, to remove the things that may be hindering us. And so there's this anticipation for some of us that, that in, in a few days Lent will end and, and some of those things that, that we have seen as, as, as hindrances that should not be brought back into our life will stay. For some of those things, we've removed good things from our lives and we're hoping to re and, and enjoy, reinstall some of those good things in our lives. But also just the, the decay around us that we've seen through winter, the death and the decay of creation. We, we wait and we long and as a Floridian, I wait and I long for green, for, for, for leaves to come back onto branches. For I, I woke up um, the day that it snowed, uh, Wednesday, to birds chirping outside of my window, which was a, it's just a beautiful sound. And I was like, oh, it must not have snowed. I was wrong. Um, but we wait with this anticipation for, for life. For life to be renewed, for life to be fully experienced, for, for things that were dead to be alive. And so there is this, this anticipation of what is to come. And, and the people who were laying down the palm fronds in Jerusalem were anticipating this future, this hope, this desire, this freedom for what is to come. And I don't want us to miss how they missed and going from singing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to shouting, crucify him. And I don't want that to be us. So I want us, to, as we look at this passage in Romans, to realize that there are, there are three realities in how we operate inside of this tension, this anticipation, this, this hopeful anticipation. And I believe that Paul lines this out very well for us. And it's a very real and, and I think very attainable uh, implication of this scripture. So the three realities in which we're going to walk through this morning are this. First, we suffer in our present time. Secondly, we groan with anticipation and third, we hope for the future glory and the resurrection for those who are in Christ. So first, Paul says this. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, or not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So we suffer in our present time. I want to first re- address the realities of the boldness of this statement. It is scripture, and I believe God makes bold statements. But for those who suffer, and maybe you are in suffering, or you've experienced great suffering, this is a very bold statement that some it may not land well. Okay, let's just put it that way. This is a tough statement. The common error in which I've heard this verse preached many times is, is the minimizing of suffering. That, so, yeah, we will suffer, but, but glory. And the reality is that suffering is tough. They don't call it suffering for, for, for no reason. I mean, just the, the word itself just brings up this emotion of pain and angst and, and desire for relief. 
And there are people who are here that are going through suffering, who are going through chronic suffering. Many of us have experienced deep hurts and pains. And so let me just for a moment encourage you, those who are suffering, those who are not experiencing what you thought life was going to be like, the pain that exists in your hearts and in your bodies, let me encourage you, in, in the temporal pain, there is a future glory. There is a future hope. And in the moment, there is a peace. There is a, there's a hopeful peace. That Jesus is good. He's good in your suffering. He's good in your pain. He's good in your loss. This world and its sinfulness and its brokenness as we're going to look at would never meet our expectations anyway. So may we who suffer, may those of you who suffer continually with chronic pain and illness, may you find your hope in Jesus and your hope in his word and what he says about your future. I don't believe Paul himself minimizes suffering even in this statement. I think what Paul is saying here is um, a reflection of what he says many other places throughout scripture. He, he talks about his own suffering a lot. He talks about the, um, the need for suffering even. Even in, in Romans eight seventeen, a verse just before what we just read, he says this. He said, The heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may, be, that we may also be glorified with him. In his passage to the, the in his letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 11, many of you are familiar with this verse that Paul um, talks about his own suffering. He says this, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater laborers, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I re- received from the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea on frequent journeys and on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, endangered from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, though many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul, Paul is inordinately familiar with suffering, physical suffering, emotional suffering, psychological suffering. And so are many of you. And what Paul is saying here in this verse in Romans is not minimizing suffering, but taking into into hand the realities of suffering. Paul would not mention these things in his letters if suffering were just a no big deal. Like, hey, yeah, you're going to suffer, it's going to be all right. 
Like that's, that's not what he's saying here. Suffering is very, a very clear and present issue. It is a big deal. And it is the thing that I have seen, and I'm sure Paul has seen, that has caused many men and women of faith to shrink back, to struggle with. Pain and suffering is real. It is active and it hurts and it draws people away from the goodness of God because it is so big and such a big deal. It causes men and women to lose their call to ministry. It causes marriages to split. It causes people to run and hide. And in the litany of what Paul says here in that list, we can look at some of the major things. We can look at the beatings. We can look at the shipwrecked, the being stoned, adrift at sea. But I also want to look at just what he says, the dangers and the hardships and the toil. These are also things, I think, that exist very presently amongst us. The weightiness of, of daily toil, of, of just daily working through the day, for some of us is, is, is difficult. The daily grind, Paul Tripp, we're doing a marriage seminar, and Paul Tripp says like, it's like the 10,000 little moments that we're making decisions. Some of us make tough decisions, and we try to love lovable people, and we try to love unlovable people. And there's difficulty and toil in that. And then Paul, he finishes this and he says, and then there's also just my daily anxiety for the church. My daily anxiety for the church. The realities of suffering and what Paul goes through is common even amongst us today. And we, we have, we saw the Sudan video, and we've seen videos from from New City Church in Williamsport, or City Church in Williamsport. We've, we've seen uh, videos from uh, Liberty Northeast. Uh, we've also seen a video from uh, some of our friends in... Hold on, wait a minute. It was somewhere. Yes, Gloucester City. Yes, the Marlins. Sorry. I wrote it down and then I deleted it. But, but, but these... These friends of ours are going through daily sufferings, the toil and angst of, of planting, of sustaining work, of reaching and ministering to people. And let us not minimize what, that is, what they are doing there and what has happened here. I would hope and I would pray, church, let us, let us even take on ourselves some of this anxiety that Paul has. I don't ask people to take on anxiety often, okay? But let us take on some of the anxiety and the prayerfulness and desire and the hope for these churches. Let, us, let, it, let it be bothersome almost to our spirit that we would be so prayerful and vigilant for these churches that God would continue to work in them, to give them teams, to give them people that would love them well. Many of these guys are going out with no one other than like a network behind them. Let, 
May we pray and ask God to give them incredibly loving people. May, we, may God give them some of the people that I've seen even here. That there would be replicas of some of you, the encouragement that you have given to Matt and even myself in a few matter of months. May they have those people because they need those people. There are, these, these churches are going out into dark places. And so there is, this, there is this anxiety that exists for the hope, for the church, for the hope, and I think also for, for those of us, this anxiety for people that we love, that we know are going to have to go through a hard thing. Some of our children who are far off, some of our friends and loved ones, parents who do not know Christ, there is an anxiety that exists in us for these people, for them to know Christ, to know his, his, his coming and His resurrection, and that it is for them. This missional heart, if we don't have it, may, be, may, may we be awoken to this need for prayer and for desire for the church here at Liberty and the church beyond Liberty. May we know this. So how do we frame this current suffering, this painfulness? It affects everyone and everything. And yet, Paul says this. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He said the pain and the suffering is real. The pain and the suffering is present. It is, it is overwhelming at times. And he says, and yet, the glory that is to come, the glory that is to come is so great and so mind-blowing, if you will, that we can't even comprehend it. We are suffering, and we do suffer, and we will continue to suffer, and it, God willing will refine some of us, but we need Jesus to sustain all of us. But we look forward. That is our future hope. This is our desire to keep in mind what is going to happen, what God is going to do, what he is going to reveal to us is this future, this future glory. And in this future, let me encourage you who are suffering, Christ with his nail-pierced hands will wipe away every tear. Christ with his pierced side will bring you in and hold you to remind us that, that our sin costs something. Sin caused something very deep and very precious. That was the life of our Savior. But he's greater and he overcame sin and he overcame death. Oh, to be with Christ, to remove all suffering, that makes suffering worth it. Makes the suffering worth it when we, when we keep in view what our future will be. Oh, to be done with suffering and to be with Christ. Warren Wearsby said this. He says, we, what a thrilling salvation that we have. 
free from the penalty of sin because Christ died for us in Romans chapter 5, free from the power of sin because we died with Christ to the flesh, chapter 6, and to the law, chapter 7, and someday we shall be free from the very presence of sin when nature is delivered upon from bondage, chapter 8. And this nature delivering from bondage and this groaning that we read about is our second point this morning. Secondly, we groan with anticipation. We groan with anticipation. For, and it says this in verse 19 and following. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. One commentator pointed out here, he says, here we have, as nowhere else in the Bible and perhaps nowhere else in ancient literature, a man who feels with the pain of creation. A very presence of sin brought in by the first family is felt not only by humanity, but all of creation itself. Just think, I want us to think about, I mean, there's, there's a hike coming up on Saturday. As you walk through the the woods, as you walk through the wilderness, that, that this creation that we see and that we experience, that we love, is in bondage. It's subjected to bondage. There is a limiting of what creation could and should be. As someone who is fascinated with creation, I, I think then of like what could be what could be the, this future of creation? What would have been had sin not entered the world? C.S. Lewis and some other um, writers often think in kind of their Narnian mindset, you know, maybe we would be able to converse with animals. That'd be pretty cool. Your dog could actually tell you what he's saying. Your cat could, you know, say what cats are going to probably say to you. And you know what that is. Um, but even like in Palm Sunday, we have in, in, this, in this passage in Luke, we see that you know, Jesus is coming into the city and the disciples are with him and people are around him and they're, they're praising him and they're praising him and the Pharisees are amongst them and they tell Jesus, rebuke your disciples for what they're saying. And Jesus responds with, if they didn't say this, the rocks are going to shout out. I don't know many rocks that talk. But it's a reality that we see in multiple times throughout Scripture that that creation is praising the Father, praising the Son, praising the Spirit. And we see that, that, that creation itself has a desire to make much. So what would it be like without this sin? Just as creation groans, Paul says this, we also groan in verse 23, knowing that there is a future coming where liberation and freedom can be experienced. But not only for us, but for all of creation. 
Does this future liberation, the future glory, give us hope in what could be? Does it inform how we act and respond to each other today and to creation as a whole? Do we look at this groaning as as sent to someone, or do we just groan? I, as we groan, as we as we have this this angst, this 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 desire welling up inside of us for something better, something more, something to be made right, let that inform how we are trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus making things right around us and what we can do and the grasp and the reach that we have, the people that are in our lives. Do we have a hopeful anticipation towards what God will do and is doing? And I know many of us hold to the redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies. Uh, Some of us hold to that every morning when we wake up and there's something hurting that wasn't hurting yesterday. I turned 35 this year um, and I woke up about a couple weeks ago um, and my neck, I couldn't move my neck and I don't know what I did. And it could have just, you know, I slept funny. Um, but I couldn't move my neck, and then it got worse and worse and worse. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. Like, what is going on? We see, we see things turning grayer. We see things not, not being as flexible as they used to be. We wake up with aches and pains, and let that remind us that our bodies are temporal. But God is going to give us newness. He's going to give us new life. He's going to bring to us and through uh, his son a a new life, a new body, a a heavenly body, if you will. And so we have this future. I I do want to, so so there is hope in that. I do want to say for those who are not in Christ, it doesn't get better. And these are hard words. And I know there are hard words. It doesn't get better. And I say that to you because I want things to get better for you. We love you, but your future, as you continue to age and things continue to stop working, is not not going, you don't get a new body. You don't get the redemption. And we want the redemption for you. So if you would, let me just take a moment and speak to you. There is hope for you. It is not in what you have accomplished or have done, and what, but it is in what Jesus Christ himself has accomplished and done. We talk about future glory. We want you to experience the future glory. May you repent, see Jesus for who he is. And I would ask, you know, if you talk with one of us afterwards, talk with myself or Matt or one of our leaders or a friend around you. I don't want you to leave here today not knowing what your future holds and continuing to deal with the decline of your body and your faculties and your capacity and not have any hope for the future. The the renewal of our bodies will happen, but that is secondary to what we receive when the resurrection comes, when we get Christ, the first fruits of the Spirit. 
how long, how we will long to be with the bridegroom. I would say, like, if we didn't get new bodies, if we were stuck with where we were, and, but we got Christ, that would be enough. But he gives us good things in addition to being with him. Friends, we get Jesus. We get to be with Jesus. Is Jesus enough? We get Christ. If we were still left with the scars and the pains of suffering, if we were left with our bodies, Jesus would still be enough. For eternity, he would be enough. We get that. The first fruits of the Spirit, we get Jesus. Christ, and Christ alone, the sufficiency for our hope, the the sufficiency of our bodies, and the sufficiency of our future. And so we have this hope. And our last point this morning, we hope for future glory and the resurrection of those in Christ. Throughout this entire passage, and it's just a a clip of, of just the gravity of Romans 8, I hope you've heard the hope that exists for us. Paul finishes this, this passage like this. For in this hope we are saved. Now the hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. For this hope, which is the adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies, we are saved. And yet... It is elusive. It's not tangible. It's not something we can hold on to. It's there, but we don't see it. But we hope for it. We hope for it because of who says it. We hold on to it because of who says it, who gives us this hope. This hope comes from Christ. It comes from what He has accomplished. This faith that we have for future glory is not in our own workings. It's not in our own personal standing before the Lord. No, it is in the one that over 2,000 years ago in a Middle Eastern city on the, on the back of a donkey's colt came into the city knowing that he was going to die. Came into the city knowing that he was going to take on the sins of the world. Came into the city knowing that he was going to suffer. And knowing that that would affect our future today. Over the next week, we go from shouting Hosanna to shouting crucify him. You know, this Jesus that we worship, he suffered, he died, but he knew what and who he was dying for that being lifted up on the cross would save many, that the death there would give life, that this future hope that we have is, is, is not seen beyond our own, it's not seen beyond our own understanding. There's a future that we don't even understand, and yet we know because of the reliable testimonies of Scripture that this hope is good, that it is greater than we could ever imagine. We hope in in something that we could never achieve. Some of us, we, we limit this future to what we see people today experiencing. Well, if I, was, if I was just like that guy, if I just had what they had, if I lived there, if I had this, if I could do that, if this 
Um, if I didn't have to suffer through this, then, then that would be my future hope. That would be my glory. Guys, there's a future hope and glory that is beyond that. Let us not limit what God is going to do in our future hope and our future glory to something so temporal that man can attain it. Let us think beyond what man can attain, keeping this future glory in mind as we live and as we work and as we go through the daily grind. C.S. Lewis um, says this, because there's some of us who struggle for this, this future hope, and he says, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do, to look forward to this future glory. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on the earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of other worlds that they would have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. I've heard it said that um, you know, being so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Maybe, maybe some of you have heard that phrase before. Um, but I don't think that's possible. And, and, and instead of me um, giving you the reason why, I'm going to let John Piper respond. Um, it says, yes, I know it is possible to be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly use. My problem is this. I've never met one of those people. He goes on to say, and I suspect if I met one, the problem would not be that his mind is so full of glories of heaven, but that his mind is so empty and his mouth is so full of platitudes. I suspect that for every professing believer who is useless in the world is because of otherworldliness, there are a hundred who are useless because of this worldliness. So let us patiently and consistently hold to heaven, this view of hopeful expectation, this glory that is to come. May we who are called beloved know that this future glory is ours and share it with generosity and expectancy with as many who have ears to hear. And so as we participate this week in Holy Week and we reflect on what Christ has come to do, has done, and will do, let us suffer well in this present time. Let us groan with anticipation for the things to come and hope for the future glory and the resurrection from the dead that is in and through Christ our Lord. Amen and amen.